eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Inside Carolina On The Beat Live. It is, is it Thursday? It's 9 o'clock Thursday. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. Uh, I'm Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. It's time to wrap basketball and talk a little spring football. That on the beat live comes Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, the the original three. We've had a, a lot of these parties with a lot of people in them, but we're going to do it with the three of us tonight. And Greg, I'm going to come to you first. Gregory and I were talking about it off the air, the trips back from New Orleans and all. And I, I think my watch had 34 straight stand hours um, from 7 a.m. Monday till 4 p.m. Wednesday. Um, no sleep, airport sleep doesn't count, and it wasn't much. And then I slept for 13 and a half hours straight until Wednesday morning. How was your weekend, Greg? Yeah, it was uh, very similar to that. It's, you know, that's, that's the, the hassle of it. I think anybody that went down, I don't know what it is about New Orleans. Yeah, this is the uh, fifth Final Four that I've covered, and I, I cannot recall a place where we've gone where there's been bigger hassle with travel um we had to fly into mobile and drive over which you know two hours 15 minutes two and a half hours because we can't get into new orleans for like less than 1500 dollars a ticket and then on the way out kind of to your point tommy uh cover the game then got back to the hotel around 3 30 uh had to be up and out the door by six so slept for, you know hour and a half maybe uh and then got home at 10 just because of, you know, we had wreck traffic coming out of New Orleans, which is you know, three plus hours to Mobile. Then we sat in the airport for four and a half hours and we missed flights and got rescheduled for Greensboro instead of Raleigh. And um, so, yeah, that's like a you know, day of your life that you never get back. But we got to it's go like, enjoy. What? Because it's like uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, exactly. We were just you like that reference, Tommy? Look at you. You didn't think I yeah, knew that movie. You come up with old <laughs> My stuff, dad right? makes us watch it every single Thanksgiving. So I've seen it. I'm how, how old am I? I've probably seen it like almost two dozen times now. Great. <laughs> um, well, good is relative term. Well, we got to got to see a, a fun Final Four. Um, you know, Carolina has had a lot of success over the years. And we were, we were talking about it 
the other night in between games, uh, at least in the Roy Williams era, and you can make the case really dating back to the Dean era. Um, but like in 1982, Carolina getting to the Final Four and winning was, was not really a surprise. Uh, you know, the bigger surprises are years when they were really good and didn't get there, right? Like 84, 2012. But for North Carolina to, to make this type of run was really unique. Um, yeah, I know they I know they got to the Final Four in 2000, but I didn't feel like that team. I thought that team was a true eight seed. Uh, this team was an eight seed just because of the way they played the first three months of the year, and then just went on an incredible run late. And uh, so yeah, they were an eight seed, but they really weren't an eight seed. But it was still an incredible story. So it's it was very uh, very fun to cover. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind, not just this weekend, it's been a whirlwind for a month. I don't feel like I've been home for five weeks, but that's, that's what happens when you get into to March and the team you cover has a good bit of success. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You referenced the, the eight seed deal and I like what you said. Um, I believe, and again, folks, my timing is off when we were recording live, I guess, Sunday night, um, they weren't really a true eight seed this time, but. In 2000, they were, and in 13, they were. Um, but with this team, I mean, they were the best team in the country by the measurements or the analytics after March 1st and stuff, and they're an eight seed in the tournament. I mean, we talk about a lot of gripes <laughs> in the tournament selection. I mean, Baylor has a legit one. Um, but at any rate, that's, that's long past. Gregory, um, you sat with us at the Final Four or in the championship game. We uh, we crammed five people in four seats. Um, folks didn't seem to mind because uh, we didn't sit at all. I'm not, I'm not very large. Uh, yeah, you're not. And um, I think they thought you were a relative of mine, so they weren't going to say anything or, or risk the trouble. But uh, nobody sat down in front like they did during the Duke game, um, which was I found was interesting on Saturday. But anyway, Gregory, your thoughts on just the weekend in general. I'll tell you this, Greg. New Orleans is hell to get there, but I can't imagine a Final Four anywhere else. Gregory, how'd you enjoy New Orleans? I had a great time. <laughs> I mean, I we just the amount of – I mean, it was obviously – I've never been to, one, an NCAA tournament game, um, and two, obviously, with that, I've never been to a Final Four. So just the seeing – getting there – I've also never been in New Orleans, so a lot of firsts this weekend. But just getting there, seeing the fans everywhere. I thought the team hotel aspect was really cool. You know where the teams are staying. Like across the street was Villanova's, um, all of that aspect. And then just walking around New Orleans, which obviously is a big tourist town in general, but still just pretty much like it seemed like 75% at the least were college basketball fans, even if they weren't wearing Duke, Kansas, Villanova, or Carolina. Like you saw – people who probably booked final four tickets before their team lost. Like you saw Purdue fans, you saw Kentucky fans, um, saw some Houston fans, some Arizona, like, I mean, I saw a Virginia tech fan, like long shot, you know, or maybe he just was there and threw on his thing. Um, so as far as the spectacle, I thought it was really cool. Um, and obviously enjoying the French quarter before games and, and things like that and had some crawfish at Dufay and just all of that. It was really cool. And then the Superdome, it was also my first time watching a basketball game actually in the football stadium, right? Like you always see it, um, whether it's early season games um, or even when they go up and play in the Carrier Dome. Like I've never experienced that. 
and you don't really understand exactly how far away you are, even though you don't feel like you don't feel far away, but you are. Um, and just like when I went down, when I got there on Saturday to go and say hi to Vip and Ross and Jim, and I tried to say hi to Greg, but he was on the other side and whatnot. It's like the walk to get from like the top of the lower section all the way down. <laughs> it was just, it's just pretty crazy. And just being there was awesome. And obviously two fantastic games, two completely different games, um, but two fantastic games. And just as a college basketball fan, it was pretty cool. And I think that was the most ever watched championship game as far as ratings. I think cable. I saw that some on cable. Yeah. So streaming doesn't count, but the fact that I, mean, I don't even remember the last time I watched a basketball game on cable. Um, if you, cause YouTube TV doesn't count. So I just, it's pretty, pretty spectacular considering the magnitude that the Saturday game had um, and then Monday as well. So long answer to your question, but. So I'll give you a, I'll give you a positive Tommy. I don't want to sound like Mr. Debbie Downer over here. Um, anybody that went to the 2017 final four in Glendale um, can appreciate new Orleans because to get to the stadium, if you're staying in Phoenix, it was like a 45 minute bus ride. Uh, and if it was bad traffic, it was worse. And so at least with the Superdome, I mean, it, it is right there downtown New Orleans. It's, I don't know, five blocks from the French Quarter. So if you're staying downtown in the, the happening area in New Orleans, you could go party and then stumble over to the arena, which is, which is a neat, um, fun aspect. It's, Houston was a little bit different with it being an NRG. It wasn't quite as far out, but in 2017, that, that stadium was a long, long way out and took a lot of planning to, to get there on time. Yeah. Uh, recommendations. Here's what we did. We stayed in past Christian and Airbnb. Gregory is over there in Waveland. We drove about an hour to get to it, parked at the Hill Garage. It's on LaSalle Street. It was 20 bucks. And it was literally two blocks from, or less than two blocks from the Superdome. And then maybe four or five blocks to the happening spots on bourbon and all that stuff. Highly recommend doing it that way. Cause as Greg mentioned, flying into new Orleans was ridiculous. Hotels in new Orleans were absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, and it's an easy in easy out from that deck too. So don't steal my spot, but next time it's in new Orleans and Carolina's there, look up the heel garage on the South street. Greg, let's sort of put in perspective what we saw uh, this weekend. Again, you're listening on the beat live sponsored by Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. And that's Gregory Hall and Greg Barnes. Um, for college basketball, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, it was just an absolute amazing event. It's still fascinating to me that you probably can't find 10 people that aren't Kansas or Nova fans that could tell you anything about the first semifinal. Um, but to have the eyes of the world back on college basketball, I thought that was a big deal. Not just because it was Carolina Duke, not just because it was um, in New Orleans, but because the college basketball world needed that Final Four and that event to sort of get back on track after the last two or three years. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Um, and one point I made last week was, you know, after everything that transpired with COVID, and the fact that, that we lost the 2020 NCAA tournament. Um, it was like a gift from the gods that we were able to get Duke Carolina in the Final Four. Uh, and then when you add to that an undercard of Kansas and Villanova, which was like an afterthought, as good as those programs are, uh, was really phenomenal. And, you know, I've, I was thinking about it the other day. I've covered 
more than 500 UNC basketball games in my time. Uh, I've covered roughly, I think, 35 or 36 UNC Duke games. And, you know, I'm well past the point of, of feeling anxiety, feeling nerves, anything in a game. You know, every game's the same for me. Uh, but on Saturday night, that was the first time in a long time, probably first time in a decade or so, where you know, the, the hairs on my arms stood up. It was such an electric, tense crowd. It was great. And uh, talking with a lot of media members, they were the same way. And it was, it was just fascinating to see and to be able to be a part of that and be able to watch it. Um, you know, Matt Norlander at CBS Sports made, made the point that you know, 70,000 people there, you give it five or 10 years, and there's going to be probably a million people who say they were in that, that <laughs> facility. Um, that's how it works. But it was. And, uh, you know, I am the biggest fan of the North Carolina Duke rivalry you'll find. I think it is the best thing in sport beyond college basketball. I think it is, it is the real deal. And for that game to not only meet expectation, but to exceed it, to live up fully to the hype uh, is implausible borderline impossible and yet Caleb Love hits a dagger three-pointer on 25 seconds left to secure the win I mean um, just an incredible game you know hats off to both of the programs and uh, it was one of those games where especially in the second half neither team deserved to lose it was that good of a game but clearly people listening to this podcast are, are very happy that it was North Carolina that came out on top yeah, I don't. There's not anybody that can watch that Carolina Duke game and say that wasn't one of the best college basketball games I've ever watched. I mean, on YouTube, they've got the last three minutes and 42 seconds of the game on there. And it, it that segment in itself is some of the best college basketball action ever that you'll ever see. And somebody asked, you know, the atmosphere in the building. And to Greg's point, I, I was there um, in the stands. Um, Gregory and all that Barnes and them are down on, on press road, but you know, when members of the press are feeling that way, then it's something special in that building. And it was just completely off the hook. Um, there are no regrets for making whatever trip and dealing with whatever, whatever issues getting down to new Orleans and back and all that stuff, just a fantastic event. And folks from Nova and Kansas know it, they knew it. They knew their role on that Saturday, and they played it well. Um, and Kansas ultimately won the national championship, I think, in part because of that game, Duke Carolina game. Uh, they certainly deserved to win. Uh, they deserved to beat Carolina the way they played and the way Remy Martin hit shots. But, Greg, to see Carolina's fight, and I want to get back to the Inside Carolina podcast here, we've watched a lot of basketball. You've covered a lot. And I've probably seen three or four times as much as Gregory, but Gregory can speak to this too. I don't think I've seen a Carolina game in a long, long while where the game's over and you think to yourself, there's just nothing else they could have done. They were dead. And you always talk about, and to Coach K's credit, um, I'll give him credit. In his presser, he said he wants his guys crying after every game, either in tears of joy or tears of sorrow. And after that Carolina game, there were a lot of the latter. Um, there was a father-son sitting next to us that um, got in my feels because I have children. But t 
to see Carolina and see how that game ended and see Baycott and see Leakey and Caleb Love and all them, I don't think I've seen anything like it. It speaks to what this year has been with Hubert Davis. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there's always games, kind of to your point, where uh, you, the, the players have right to be disappointed, have a right to be frustrated, all those things. And that's just kind of how sports go. Uh, you know, after that game, after what North Carolina had done throughout the month of March, uh, you know, if, if you felt frustrated, I, I hate it for you. Hopefully it didn't hang along, hang around long. Because um, this is one of those things, like Hubert, Hubert said it very well afterwards, um, and I wrote about it. But, you know, in a moment where he, he should have been disappointed because they lost, he was just incredibly proud. And I think as a Carolina fan, if you don't feel that way about this team and what they did in March, you know, uh, look at yourself in the mirror and have a little bit of a talk. You know, Coach K likes to talk to himself, apparently. Follow <laughs> his lead. He's a leader of men. Follow his lead. Talk to yourself. You figure out what you want out of, out of a fandom, right? Figure out what you're looking for out of this because it's about the journey uh, and, and the banners matter and, and the championships and all that. But, you know, <laughs> Some of these teams, like 2009, they would have been completely devastated had they not won the title because they should have won the title. They were hands down the best team in the country. Uh, but, but this team, the way that they battled, you know, and somebody mentioned on the board, and I thought this at the time, but the way that Carolina played UCLA in the Sweet 16, I mean, that was a Final Four game. I thought UCLA was excellent, and that's probably the best game that Carolina had I probably played all year. Um, and I think it was pretty close to the Duke game, except the Duke, Duke game was on a bigger stage. Uh, but to, you have that kind of game and to have the game against Baylor where you build this massive lead and then you lose it and then you win somehow in overtime. And then to play against a, you know, an incredible Cinderella team in St. Peter's and then to beat Duke the way that they beat Duke on Saturday and then to play the first half they had. Um, it would have been too perfect almost if they'd have held on and won in the second half, it just wasn't meant to be too many things went, went against them. Too many injuries popped up. As you said, you know, Remy Martin has a couple big shots still late. Carolina couldn't hit any shots late. I mean, they shot under 30% in the second half. Uh, so it just wasn't, you know, their storybook ending, but just what an incredible stretch of basketball for the Tar Heels and for them to really rally around one another and play the way that they did uh, was really impressive. And, you know, it's not a championship year, um, but it's right there at the very top of, of some of the best years that, that we've seen for, for Carolina basketball. Tommy, to your point about the emotion, that picture um, that Jim Hawkins took, and if you haven't seen it, it's somewhere on our website, of B-Rob just running out and just hugging Caleb and just trying to keep him up from, like, falling, and Caleb's just the most tears that we've ever seen out of him regardless of what these guys do as far as decisions and Sherelle posted a scoop as far as what we know, which isn't very much about what our inclinations of what guys are going to do, but regardless of if Caleb comes back to Carolina or goes pro or whatever his decisions are, if I'm him, I'm taking that picture, I'm framing it and I'm never forgetting what that feels like one, because you don't want to feel that agony and you want to, motivate yourself in all ways possible, whether it's for Carolina or whether it's for another team to try to prevent that. But also 
because it just shows how much that he truly cared and this whole team cared and the way that they bought in. And I mean, we sat here on this podcast this calendar year ripping the team for not buying in, for not showing energy and motivation and for all these things. And they turned all of it around within weeks in a manner of which we did not see coming even in the slightest. And I know Hubert called this team a national championship team at the beginning of the season. I know they believed in themselves, but still there's, there's gotta be some sort of like, wow, we really did that in the manner in which they did to go from a true bubble team. Like it wasn't one of those talks where it's like, okay, Carolina's it, they should still make the tournament. Like, like they were a true in true danger of not making the tournament and the emotion that Caleb showed there, like that's not anything that they ever want to experience again. It's just, it's all pretty surreal to look back on what we were. I mean, we could find, go back and pull quotes of things we said about this team two, I guess two and a half months ago. And they were still there. They were true. Then the complete 180 degrees of what we're saying right now. And I guarantee you, everyone watching right now would not have expected that this would be a type of show that we're doing to wrap up this season. Yeah, and one thing that one thing that I, I don't like that I've seen a little bit on social media and I've seen it on our message boards um, is there's a handful of people who say, hey, see, the media was wrong all along. Uh, if you want to believe that, you get right ahead, but you're doing this team a disservice because by saying that, you're saying that this team didn't grow and didn't have the development and the chemistry uh, that went along with this. I mean, the fact that this team on Saturday morning of the Duke game in the final four, sat and had a powwow and just talking about everything that transpired, all the fights that they had, how they weren't sure what was going to happen with this team. And yet here they were. I think you're discrediting what this team accomplished. So um, I, I've seen a little bit of that. I don't like it. I don't think it's fair to the players. Uh, Gregory's exactly right. Th- this team was a true bubble team. And all you have to do is go back and go back and watch the Miami game. Go back and watch the Wake Forest game. Go back and watch the first half of the Duke game. That those teams were not the same team that we saw in Fort Worth, in Philadelphia, um, and then where were we, New Orleans? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where I am right now. Uh, it's been such a whirlwind. But he's yeah, got Key West on his mind. Yeah, give them give them plenty of credit because it was just a phenomenal run, and they they deserve that credit. Absolutely, and I and it cannot be lost. Look, they they lost the national championship game. Um, other fan bases love to uh, try to gig folks and do that, and they're doing it on my social media and on other places. I mean, what what Mike Davis say when Indiana was beating the heck out of Carolina back in the Dean Dome? You know, get yourself a team and. Uh, to a couple of those people that have said things like that. Let, let's sort of look ahead now. Uh, and again, um, this is on the beat live on Thursday night, roughly 930. Just appreciate everybody's joining us. How many people we got with us? A couple hundred, a couple 300. We got, we got 260, 300. Shout out to those folks. Shout out to the over a thousand or 1300 that joined us um, last Saturday night or Sunday night. Sunday night. But, but Greg, what's the time frame as far as some decisions are made, being made? It's, it's sped up so much more these days, or is it, given the fact that the transfer portal is such an important thing for Carolina? Lord knows it was a lifesaver this year um, in Brady Manic. 
But but what are we looking at as far as when we could expect some movement, roster movement? Because now that's everybody's attention. Right. And I believe it's May 1st that you have to be in the portal to be eligible immediately. Uh, so that that's a, a window that everybody's been looking at. And, yeah, with the fact that Carolina played in the final weekend, uh, you know, last year they got knocked out in the first weekend. So you've got a couple weeks in March, and then you've got a couple days in April, and you still got plenty of time to make a decision. But typically, and granted, this is Hubert's first year. We don't know exactly how he's going to handle things. But Roy Williams was always very quick to have his offseason meetings, like within the last week, the, the week after the final game. Um, and so I assume that probably next week we'll start to hear some noise about what's going to happen. And that's what's going to be so fascinating about this year is because there's so many different aspects in play, right? Um, you know, Caleb Love and Armando Bacot, we've talked about this for years. Those are guys, when they came in, they kind of had an eye towards the NBA. That was a goal for them. And pretty much as soon as they can go and maybe be guaranteed money, they were going to go. Are they there yet? Do they have to go through the process again to get that feedback? What role does Pat Sullivan play now? That's, that's kind of his thing, right, is, is making sure that he has connections with the NBA. That's his job. Uh, how does that factor in? Then you get into the aspect of, okay, North Carolina had 13 guys on scholarship this year. Brady Manick is the only one who cannot come back and play. So if everybody comes back, that you've got 12, and you got three guys coming in, they're freshmen, well, that puts you at 15. You can only have 13. So there has to be two openings. Now, I think everybody can agree that Dawson Garcia is the most likely option for one of those. Uh, but those are the things that have to take place. And that's, that's where the, the next step in this – we know Hubert Davis did a great job with his team on the floor and in the locker room too. Now it's how do you manage your roster? You know, because if Leaky Black wants to come back and Baycott and Love want to come back, you're going to take them back, right? I mean, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. But then you may have to tell somebody, hey, you didn't play a lot this year. I know I'm a super nice, positive guy, but you need to hit the road. Uh, He's got to have that conversation potentially. And so all these things are, are uh, part of the deal that has to play out over the next couple of weeks. And you don't want to get too far into April with a lot of question marks. You need to be able to say, hey, we know this guy's going through the process for the NBA. Um, and if he, if he decides to go, we're okay. But if he decides to stay in and we're going to be in a bad spot, we've got to make sure we're covered. And so I think because of that, all of this is going to be sped up pretty rapidly. Um, and I, like I said, I expect some of this to start to come down next week, but I think all of it will, will play out in the next couple of weeks. And I think another part of it is with our, like our last year, right? Armando tested the waters in the NBA and all it kind of was obvious that he was going to end up coming back to Carolina all along. Right. But for this season, this off season, if Armando does go pro but takes a little bit to make that decision well then that takes away time from being able to attack the transfer portal because UNC is going to need a true like a true big if Armando goes pro like or, or else they're going to be playing smaller than they did when um, Luke May had to play at the five and they got was it Texas A&M that toasted them in the tournament um so I, that plays a role as well with this whole roster management thing of like, okay, you want to help Armando make the best decision for him, but then you also have to 
try to build your roster for next year. And you can't have Armando not sure. And so you have to be open communication with all of these players and trying to figure out the transfer portal and, and things like that. Like Hubert Davis had the luxury of getting Brady Manick five days into his tenure. Like that's how quick they knew they needed a guy They got Brady and look how great that was for Carolina. Right. Like, like I know you look at the transfers and you could say Hubert went one of three in the transfer portal, but Brady was so crucial without him. This team doesn't get to where they got to. They could, if they lose guys like Caleb and Armando and whatnot, they could, go out to the transfer portal and get the same type of guy. But that window closes every single day that a decision's not made. So you kind of have to know what these guys are thinking before a decision's made. So you can have conversations with um, a guy like KJ Williams from Murray state, right? Like these big men that are really talented that you're going to need if Armando leaves. So it's just a completely different part of it that Roy really never had to, to deal with, honestly. Yeah, yeah, Tommy, it, give it, you some specific dates just to throw them out there. Uh, early entry deadline for underclassmen declaring is April 24th. So I have 17 days that if Armando and Caleb want to say, hey, I'm going to test the waters, that's what they have to do. Uh, the combine is May 16th through the 22nd in Chicago. And then you have to withdraw to maintain eligibility by June 1st. So within two months for everything. Yeah, man. If you're in June 1st, uh, that the transfer portal will still have guys in it, but some of the some of the uh, nice ones and the good guys that can really help you probably won't be around. It'll be interesting, you know, Greg. We've talked about the way Mac Brown has had those tough decisions and, and tough discussions with his players and guys that were further down on the depth chart, and then you see guys transferring or leaving. That will be something to watch with Huber Davis it is, and you mentioned it, is having those decisions with guys that didn't play much. Now, you would think that Carolina will play more guys next year. Um, you've got a little bit of breathing room. You don't have to, to win immediately like he had to do this year. Um, I don't think you have to force the chemistry with playing guys 35, 40 minutes uh, a game. But at any rate, if you were – way down the depth chart, I think the coaching staff would do them a disservice by not telling them that, right, Greg? Especially with the way the portal, the freedom of movement deal. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things with, with Hubert. Roy never had a lot of transfers because he, he recruited the guys. He was, he was a good evaluator of talent. He kind of knew what he had, and he knew that – hey, this guy maybe is a little bit raw, like a Bryce Johnson, but I think he has potential that when he's a junior and senior, he can be a really good player. <clears throat> and Roy just had a very good um, – he's kind of good finger on, on all the pulse of that program. And that's just because he did it for so long. Um, that's, that's the next step for Hubert. Maybe he does, maybe he does. We, we don't know that right now. Um, but he's got to get there to kind of understand – uh, you know, hey, this guy I think is going to be able to help us down the road. This guy, maybe not. Or maybe this guy is going to be, I mean, like Carwin Walton is a good example. If Caleb Love comes back, are there minutes for Carwin next year? And do you have that conversation with him? Now, all bets are off if Caleb goes pro, right? Uh, but those are the kind of conversations you have to have. And um, it, 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 we haven't seen it yet. We, we don't know what Hubert Davis is going to do. We don't know how he's going to handle those situations. What we do know 
is he did not have any of those conversations during the year like Mac did. Different animal. I mean, you talk about 85 guys on the roster in football compared to 13 in basketball. So it's not a fair comparison. Uh, but Hubert hasn't taken that approach, and uh, probably because Roy never did either. Put your uh, NBA scout on, scout hat on for a second here. With Caleb Love, right? You watch the beginning of the Baylor game, or not the Baylor game, uh, Marquette. the Marquette game. You watch the UCLA game. You watch the Duke game. You, you watch what the, his big games, right? Phenomenal. The shots he makes, some of the difficulties of finishing at the rim when he actually decided to drive and play inside out. Clearly, NBA talent level shots, right? Only one player in the last 40 years has been drafted after shooting 38% or lower in the season of which he was drafted afterwards. One in 40 years, and Caleb shot 37% this year. But I Harrison from Kentucky. Yes. And look at you. That's pretty good. I don't Um, know which one. Aren't they twins? I think it was his first name started with an A. Um, but just like, what do you like? What do you do? Do you take a? Do you draft him or do you go undrafted free agent? Is Caleb okay with like with Caleb Love? It's like with Baycott, it's a little. I think it's a little more clear about whether or not a scout would take him. With Caleb, I don't think it's clear at all. Like you could see a hundred percent argument for taking him. You can see a hundred percent argument for not taking him. So it's like, I don't know. What would you do? First, you have to figure out what position is he going to play. Um, and I, I think that's the challenge because he's probably a little small to play off ball. And I don't know that right now he's uh, good enough to play point guard in the NBA. Um, and then when you add in what you're talking about in terms of shooting, I think the, the process is you look at what he did as a freshman. He didn't shoot well from outside the arc, nor did he shoot well from inside the arc. And if you look at this year, he shot really well from outside the arc, not too good from inside the arc, although we saw from the second half of the UCLA game until the first half of the Kansas game, he was really good. I mean, he shot like 70% over those, what is that, six halves? Uh, so that gives you hope. And then you add in the fact that, I mean, the guy's not scared of the moment. He made plenty of clutch baskets, and there's value in that. But I think when you look at all of that, the response is, if you're an NBA scout, give him one more year, let him figure out what position he's going to play. If he wants to play at the NBA level, he probably needs to play point guard. He needs to do a better job of finishing at the rim. He needs to do a better job of shot selection and then get better defensively. Um, So there are, are tangible things right there that if he improves upon over the next year, I think he's very easily could be a first-round draft pick if he improves on this. Like you said, with Baycott, what's Baycott got to do to be a first-round lock? Probably develop an outside shot. I don't know if that's enough. Um, So I think the the potential, the ceiling for Caleb is higher. Um, Yeah, and maybe there's a team that, that wants to put him in G League and just let him learn and develop and you know, give him some good coaches to work on those things. And just, you know, if you've got a, a draft pick to spare or, or you want to really talk to him and say, look, we may not draft you. We're going to sign you as soon as the draft's over. We want you to play G League. You'll make some money. Um, maybe that kind of scenario. But uh, I think Caleb more than Baycott can benefit himself by coming back another year. 
do you want to play in the G League or do you want to be a big man on a college campus making a lot of money with NIL? I think NIL changes the game as far as guys that, that go pro to get paid and all that kind of stuff. We'll see. If Folks you're are, able to make money with NIL. Yeah, exactly. And folks I mean, are asking about portal. Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, I mean, like is $50,000, is that enough to warrant staying? Or is it 400000 Um, And that, you know, how much is out there? How much is available? We know what we've heard behind the scenes about Duke. I mean, we're talking half a million dollars plus, right? We haven't heard any of those numbers for Carolina. Um, and so that's that's part of it as well. That is uh, – muted. I think his outback numbers were like in the tens, thousands, like below that those numbers. So yeah, definitely not what you're saying. Like, is it forty thousand or is it four hundred thousand? Just depends on what you want to do. I, I agree that uh, you know there's some decisions to be made, and they're not as simple as they used to be. Um, you know, I don't think NCAA tournament explosion moves the needle as much as maybe it did one day you know, in the past or anything like that. So we'll see what happens. A lot of people asking about portal targets. Well, you got to know what you got to have to to go in the portal. You can't just go in and say, no, we want this, 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 because if you get doubles, then you've wasted a roster spot when you could have, and when I say doubles, you get like players. Um, and one could argue that maybe Manic and Garcia were those like players, and it didn't work out for both of them last year. One thing I know, and one thing I won't doubt, and I doubted a lot early in the season is that uh, Hubert Davis, Hubert Davis will figure it out. And uh, it may be bumpy at times, but he's shown the chops to, to figure it out at least this season, how he turned it around. And then we'll see what happens. Go ahead, Gregory. Greg, does uh, UNC and Hubert Davis have a messaging problem anymore? I think Hubert <laughs> has done a really good job over the course of the year getting better. Um, you know, I think what people uh, people didn't like early, uh, I'll call it as I see it. Um, but when you're when you're talking about certain guys coming in and being some of the best players in, in Carolina history as freshmen and they don't play, guess what happens? That is used against you on the recruiting trail. And other coaches say, hey, the head coach of this program said these guys are going to be some of the best guys in program history. They're riding the bench. You going to go there? That happened. So come at me if you want to about the messaging problem comment. But you haven't heard that from Hubert lately, right? Uh, and to his credit, over the course of the season, he got a lot better with the medium. Um, you know, he had one-on-ones with us. Uh, he came on IC's podcast. So it was always going to be a process. And uh, I think he's done a great job. As I said, what he did last two months of the season was phenomenal because they were, they were teetering on the brink after that Pittsburgh game of the guys is not really quitting, but basically going through the motions. And they'd have been playing in the NIT. You'd had a lot of guys leave this off season, and next year would have been very stressful. And to Tommy's point, because of the way that they rallied and finished strong, and they played in the title game. Like, there's no pressure on Hubert at all next year. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's earned that right. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think uh, I think everybody needs to be happy with, with what Hubert has done this year. I think what was an interesting and, and sort of a seminal moment for me with 
Hubert Davis was after, I guess, maybe the Miami game, Miami or Wake Forest, where he flat out said, they're better than us. They, those guys will, are better than ours. And we had not heard anything like that all year. And they, even when, they were better. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's where it really changed where guys realized that they got to be better and started to listen. Look, to Hubert Davis's point, he said the same things over and over and over and over again. Um, and eventually they stuck. So, but I, but I do agree with Greg is that some of the comments that were leading to the messaging issue um, sort of got left behind. Maybe that Miami, Wake Forest, Tennessee, Purdue, you know, th those games, they got flushed out of the system and he and got better. I mean, the team got better. Coach Davis got better. They proved their chops repeatedly. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I thought uh, six weeks ago, I thought this offseason would be as turbulent as anyone in Carolina history. I don't believe that now. I believe um, that it'll be smooth. I, I think Carolina will be good next year. Um, might have some new faces, but it won't be as what the heck is going on around here as it would have been six weeks ago. Let's talk about spring football a little bit. No, 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 no. Let me ask this question, Greg. Let's do this because people ask this question. Transfer portal, who should they prioritize? We've answered that one. You got to know who, what you need. Um, Trimble is ready to score. That's going to be a Sherelle, Sean Moran, and Joey Powell question on, uh, on the coast-to-coast. -coast. They'll be knocking out one next week, Monday, I think. They will nail everything. Sherelle's got um, – his ears to the grindstone on the recruiting deal. He can answer all of those questions. The draft. We'll talk about is it, that. Isn't he going to be somewhere this weekend? Yep. He is uh, covering all the, the, the tournaments. Um, and they'll have a huge coast to coast after that. So check them out. Don't miss that next week. Tommy, where's this final four experience ranked with some of the other trips you've made? Greg, you, you can answer it better than me. Cause I'll tell people this. I went in 98 and I went in 2000. And they lost on Saturday both times, and I never went back. Said I wouldn't go back. I didn't go in five. I didn't go in 16, 17. Um, I didn't go in nine. Um, so I decided to go back here. And if they'd have lost to Duke, I probably never would have gone back ever again in my life. So uh, it was a pretty epic experience for me. Greg, where does it rank on, your, uh, on, the cover, on the pantheon of your Final Fours? Uh, it's up there for sure. You know, 2009 – there was so much pressure on that team, so much pressure on Roy. Um, if, if fans remember back, he, he was grumpy all year long because he knew that he had the best team in the country, and it really wasn't even close. But he had to get him to play to that level. And so while that was such a good team, um, it was weird covering them, and there was like – there was almost too much pressure on them to win. And they ultimately did. It was more like a relief that they won. Uh, and then you know, 16 was just a heartbreaker because Marcus Page has meant so much to this program. One of those unique guys, you know, everybody loved him. Media loved him. His teammates loved him. Roy did. All the fans did. Uh, and for him to hit the shot that he hit, that, that double pump kind of, it wasn't even a shot, right? I mean, it was like a toss to make that, to potentially force overtime, only to have Chris Jenkins you know, hit a dagger there at the end it was heartbreaking, especially being in that locker room. And then you have the redemption story the next year, which was, um, you know, I think once they got into the tournament and got to the Sweet 16, you kind of had a feeling that's what's going to happen. They just had to get by Kentucky and then 
Luke May happens. Uh, and then this one, which is completely unexpected. Um, typically, you, as a, we talked about earlier, you go into these tournaments with expectations because you know how good a certain team is. So for Carolina to beat Baylor the way that they did and then to beat UCLA and then to beat Duke, you're like, wait a minute. And so at halftime in the national title game, we're like, holy cow, like they're going to do this. Like this is improbable uh, and just wasn't there. So this is right there at the top, but all of these have been very different over the last 15 years, which, which speaks to you know, college sports in general. You mentioned the Luke May shot, and I don't know if it was you or somebody that said the reason that that shot stands out is because they went on to win the title. Does that Caleb shot kind of go away at all or no, considering it was the first ever UNC Duke matchup in the tournament? Someone asked, where does that shot rank across all Carolina shots, which is a very long conversation that we could probably devote an entire podcast to. But how does it does it get as remembered as the Luke May shot, even though they didn't win the title? I think we need some time to be able to answer that truthfully. Uh, with it being against Duke on that stage, I think certainly for Carolina fans, it'll probably be just as big. Uh, but people all over the country remember the Luke May shot just because how big of a game that was and how big of a shot that was and that Carolina ultimately won. Um, it remains to be seen. But uh, I will tell you this, and this is a little NIL plug for Caleb, uh, he's got a shirt out that's got him in Carolina. It's like his uh, silhouette, I guess, in Carolina blue. It's the shot, right? Shooting over Mark Williams with, uh, I guess he's like maybe a dark color. I don't know if it's Duke blue it's or like not. like a shadow or something. Yeah, right. Uh, and then you got UNC kind of where the hoop is. Uh, that is a pretty sweet shirt. There were none of those during the late Luke May time, right? Because NIL. Uh, but if you if you have a fond memory of that shot, that's a pretty cool shirt to get your hands on. Yeah, I think um, I think it ranks up there. Had they won the national championship, it would probably be top five or six, seven, maybe of all time Carolina shots. Um, but at the moment, I've never seen anything. I've never seen a shot that big in in person, and I've seen a ton of Carolina games, ton of ton of college basketball games. Um, and the way that the Carolina section exploded there, and I can't imagine what was going on in people's houses uh, around the country, around Carolina. What an epic shot, an epic run for a Carolina basketball team that, quite frankly, was left for dead. I tweeted that out after the game um, Monday night. We're left for dead by nearly everybody except the dudes in that locker room and on that coaching staff and, and make that run to lose to Kansas um, at the very end. We're going to take a short break. I'm going to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt's got that NIL stuff. They've got all those jerseys and then the Manic jerseys and Baycots and Loves and everything. And you can take care of those guys by buying that stuff. They get the kickbacks, and it helps um, support them. It helps support Johnny T-Shirt. It helps give you, the Carolina fan, the, the swag that you want. Now, you need to check them out. You need to visit them online or on Franklin Street. Going to take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. It's on the beat live. We're going to wrap this one up, talk a little spring football. We've got a, a special Inside Carolina Live Saturday after the spring game. I want to tell you a little bit about that. Um, but we'll be, we'll be right back to talk Mac Brown and the Tar Heels. 
Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, boys, we're back on the beat live. Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. Greg, um, you know, Gregory and I were down there in in the fan section. Um, You were down there working in New Orleans, and now you come back, you, you maybe get something to eat get a drink and then it's immediately to football practice to talk to Mac Brown and all this. Uh, I don't think I can remember a spring football. Now, now spring football is for the hardcore folks. Let's get that straight. Um, especially at Carolina. And there are a lot of them on inside Carolina, but it is a hardcore football fan that loves some spring football. I don't know if I remember a spring football, especially with Mac Brown in town that, it seems like it's flown by because nobody's been paying attention because of the basketball run. Is that a good thing for Mac Brown? You think? Absolutely. Uh, I think Mac was very happy to cheer on the Carolina basketball program. One, it helps recruiting. It helps the brand, but two, his whole focus this off season has been getting the guys back on task. And as soon as that orange bowl ended last year, immediately the, Way too early, top 25 plus one polls came out, and Carolina was up there top 10. That was before spring practice. That team heard about how good they were all offseason, and it bit them in the rear. And so his point this offseason has been, you ain't won anything yet. Nobody on this team has won anything. You have to earn it every single day. Uh, So I think it's been a blessing for the program. Um, you know, Mac likes to talk to media. He likes to promote the program as he should. Um, but you know, and as, as he said today, you like, he's really encouraging fans to come out. It's important. It's good for the, the players to see that fan support, but at the same time, with all the focus on the basketball team, they've been able to grind and, and he's been able to push the message that, Hey, nobody's paying attention to you. Like if you want to have attention in the fall, win some ball games. You want to win ball games? This is what you have to do. Uh, so I think it's been great for the program. Yeah, and, and just looking at the spring game co- coming up, Gregory, I mean, this quarterback battle, uh, it, I found it interesting that if my memory serves, Mac's first player mentioned in his press conference today or this week was Petaway, the running back, freshman and for, running back. for damn good reason. Yeah, and so – um, a lot going on there, but interesting how Mac was hyping up his guys, but to Greg's point, said they hadn't won anything. They got a lot of talent. They got a lot of speed. They're fast. They're going to be this and that. 
Um, but when asked how good they are, he said he didn't know. Your take on what you saw today and also what you heard from Mac, I think it's fantastic that it can fly under the radar. I think it's just beneficial as heck because the people that want to know about it can follow it, but they don't have to deal with the outside noise of the national guys um, hyping the team beyond belief and then having to live up to those expectations. They can live up to their own. What do you say, Gregory? Well, I'm not sure how much flying under the radar from national guys there are because Nicole Auerbacher was at the spring practice today. Um, and she's as national as it gets when he gets to college football. And I don't know what she's there for story-wise and whatnot, but um, there's definitely not going to be national pundits saying that this team is a top 10 team. That's for sure. Um, as far as what the spring practice was like today, and it's, it's what we saw day one and the first day of spring practice and what they tried to promote was just competition throughout everything, like quite literally everything. And you look up on the scoreboard and there's, you get a, Offense gets a point on a play. Defense gets a point, depending on who wins the point. And you've got Max screaming during team drills. Defense is up 5-2. Offense, you better make a play. And it was just constant. You've got Kevin Donnelly on the one-on-ones with the uh, offensive line and defensive line after every rep, putting hands up, putting numbers up. They started um, like a two-on-one drill. Well, not two-on-one, but two-on-two offensive line, defensive line drill where they would send two defensive linemen at a time at two different offensive linemen. And Kevin Donnelly was all the way on the other side of the field and came running by. I was like, what's the score? What's the score? Like just stuff like that. Um, so it was fun. It was fun to watch today. I mean, I, I love me some college football. So spring has always been something that I enjoy watching. Got a chance to watch for, for two hours today. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're, they didn't tackle today. Um, some guys did get hit kind of big a couple of times, but it, will be full tackle on Saturday. So that can can show us kind of the physicality aspect of who has truly progressed in that regard. They can tell us that Des Evans has progressed, that Travis Shaw has, and we can see it a little bit, but we'll see it more on Saturday, in my opinion. Gregory, can you explain the point system? Do you understand that well enough to be able to do that? All I know is that it really is they grade every play. Now, as far as what was going on in the team drills, I don't know how they grade in the point system for position drills. I didn't understand what how they were keeping track for that part because offense would get a point, but the offense was doing their own position drills, like the running backs were doing it separate from the quarterbacks and the defense. So I didn't understand that part. But as far as team drills, like when they were doing inside run, for example, they did a whole five-minute portion or however long their periods are um, on third and three inside runs. So they were handing off the ball either left side or right side, and they were going inside the left tackle and inside the right tackle on literally every single play. And so if the offense got through and got the first down, that was a point. If the defense stopped it, that was a point. So it was that simple when they were doing red zone drills. Now the red zone was four plays and in. So if the defense got a stop on all four plays and didn't let the offense score, that was a point. And the defense won that drill. Uh, the defense won all three team drills. They won the red zone drill. They won the one minute drill and they won just the basic seven on 11 on 11 drill. Um, all were close. The defense also won the one-on-ones 13 to 12. I kept track of all of that. Um, so that's all I know as far as the team drills. I have no idea how the individual drills worked. And I think Max said they were even going in the spring game, which I find a little um, fortunate. Now they that's were. Mac. Literally, the offense Mac. lost everyone by one point today, 
but over 13 practices, I have no idea how that's possible. So it's a zero zero going into the spring game, which it should be zero zero going to the spring game, but like not after 13 practices, like somebody should have won after 13 practices and then you reset it for the spring game, in my opinion, but the defense looked a lot better on day one than the offense. Not so much today, although they did look a little better, but that was because the front, not the secondary, but the secondary is probably the most banged up group on the field outside of wide receiver. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And props to Gregory's uh, scoop on the Tar Pit Premium message board. If you're listening to this and you're not a Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, um, there's a ton of reasons to be one. I mean, all the recruiting stuff you could ever imagine, but Gregory's spring column, spring practice column is pretty epic. I have to give the young fella a lot of, qu- a lot of props here. Of course, it's I, always a team drill with Inside Carolina, but um, your name's on the top of it, so I'm going to give you all the props, Gregory. Grew up watching SEC football. You know, I just – it's in my veins, you know? Yeah, so I could go somewhere. I'm not going anywhere with that. Um, Greg, were we surprised when Matt – you asked the question, I believe. Um, yeah, in fact, you did about the wide receivers. I mean, he flat out said they got to have two more. Got to get them somewhere. The portal will be a place to look. Um, did that surprise you or just given what's going on at the position with Tyler being sick with those guys leaving? I mean, did they, they got to have more than six. Yeah. They only have six and that's they not an exaggeration. They only they, have six. There's not a rational belief that they can get the 13. No, um, like not, you that's, mentioned. That's impossible. Uh, that's going to be, as he said, that'll be, they'll be okay after this year, meaning after they get through the re- recruiting cycle. Uh, because I don't think anybody – I guess Antoine Green's the only guy maybe that's going to leave uh, just because of eligibility. Um, yeah, a little bit surprised. But he, he really hammered home on the fact that, uh, you know, NIL, some guys that they've contacted already have NIL deals in place out of the portal, which is tampering. But it is what it is. You can't really prove it, as he said. And then the other component of it is – is academics at Carolina trying to get transfers in. And so uh, you have guys leave last fall uh, that messed up the recruiting. Now there's an argument to be made. I know people on the message boards have made this point. You, you knew some of those guys were gone during the season. So you have to make a point to add another one or two wide receivers just to make sure you get the numbers. Uh, they elected not to do that. Uh, and so we're kind of in this situation where they're, they're desperate to get some guys in because, yeah, I mean, you're an injury or two away from Josh Downs and Antoine Green playing every single snap. And when you're running a bunch of vertical routes, dikes, right? Um, so it, it is. It's a pickle. So uh, speaking of Josh Downs. Bryson Nesbitt me... was starting wide receiver today. Yeah, right. Well, that's an interesting take because I think he, he needs to be on the field as much as possible. He's going to have to be. From what I've seen, let, let me let me hype this up a little bit. Speaking of Josh Downs um, and NIL, Hills for Life and Inside Carolina are partnering up for uh, the spring game, Inside Carolina Live show after the spring game, starting at six o'clock right there on Stadium Drive. You'll get to meet some of those guys: Josh Downs, Storm Duck, Tony Grimes, Miles Murphy, Zach Rice, Javari Ritz, and Travis Shaw scheduled to be there. Who knows who may wander up? Joey Powell and I will be doing the usual Inside Carolina Live show. 
that is normally at 10 a.m. on Saturdays will be at 6 p.m. after the spring game there. And from the sounds of it, it'll be football weather. So come on out and join us um, after the game there. Gregory, what else stood out um, before we get out of here? We wanted to keep this one tight to, t- to an hour because um, Greg Barnes needs his master's fix. Um, but what else stood out today as far as guys that are going to make a name and make some noise that we don't ever talk about? What'd you see? Is your guy Des Evans going to do something this year? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> He's finally playing the right position, right? He is. I did hear that. He and is, uh... I'll say this. I don't know if Des Evans is going to do what I thought he was going to do last year, but the trio of, and I know Javari Ritzy will also play the same position as Des Evans when like a guy like Cayman Record comes back, but the UNC offensive line today could not handle the trio or even quartet of Des Evans, Miles Murphy, Javari Ritzy, and Noah Taylor. Like they had no idea who to block. And at a certain point it was just like, all right, somebody come off. Like this isn't fair because they were rotating the offensive line a lot and they had three guys out with the flu. So like it wasn't fair in that point, but so that the the defensive line, regardless is going to make an impact. We already knew that going in two guys that stood out to me today, Tamir Brown, at corner and George Petaway at running back. Um, it's very obvious with the running back situation. It's British Brooks who will be the starter come Florida. Uh, was it Florida A&M game one week zero or whatever. Um, and then the rest of the running back room, they don't really know. Um, the guys were cycling in constantly. Um, they want to get at least one more to be with Brooks. They might get two more. But George Padaway's ability to speed-wise to get to the edge without and turning up field without losing speed stood out. And then his ability to catch balls out of the backfield seemed better than Elijah Green or DJ Jones or Kamara Edmonds. Now, Elijah Green and DJ Jones had much better vision as far as inside runs. I think that just points to experience being here for a little bit um, and getting reps. And then Tamir Brown was basically shot, basically shadowed Tony Grimes the whole practice um, and was kind of working on, on Tony's hip and they would go out to team drills. Tony would do something successfully. Tamir would basically do the exact same thing to a lot of praise from Dre Bly and Charlton Warren. Um, and with Storm Duck kind of limited right now, um, Tony and Tamir were on the field a lot together. And he's just a name that I wasn't really expecting to hear about a lot. So that's kind of why it stood out to me to one, see him play well and guard guys like JJ Jones and um, Antoine Green successfully. And two, it's just not a name really that you thought you'd be hearing a lot of and could really help when, if injuries in the cornerback room continue to be an issue. Um, now, both Storm and Dede Hans are expected to be fully healthy come the fall, but if any nagging injury comes up, having a guy like Tamir Brown be able to step up will be huge um, for the defense. So those are two guys that stood out. And then the usuals, Drake Mays got the best deep ball in the team. Jacoby Criswell is really good at instinctually getting out of the pocket when he needs to. Um, Bryson Nesbitt, his ability to go up and get balls is impressive. Antoine Green got separation on nearly every single route, um, even on a guy like Tony Grimes, which he struggled with last year. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's April 7th. 
football starts on August something, September early, but a lot of guys doing well and then still a lot of issues as far as it's hard to, with the offensive line and defensive line, it's hard to know who's really excelling on the one-on-ones because they're just kind of alternating. Um, you can, there are some subtle differences that I wrote in the scoop just about the offensive line initiating contact first rather than retreating a little bit, just things like that. But that's kind of my gist. Uh, Mark Williams, not that Mark Williams, asked a question I was fixing to ask, and I'm going to ask both of you, and Greg, you can start it. Um, noticeable difference in coaching styles. Uh, it's been very limited, and you guys have been very busy doing other things, but between Chiswick and Warren and Bateman, I mean – is there anything of note there that we can speak to now? Yeah, I think what we saw with Gene, if you were hanging around in South Carolina back in 2015 and 16, it's the same deal. Um, he is very much about making sure everybody understands what they're doing. Um, and he has always been of the mindset that we're going to give them what they can accept and take. And only when they get to that point will we add more to it. Uh, Jay was much more of a technician. And when he had guys that could handle what he was asking them to do, he had success. Uh, you know, we know how things played out. It, it didn't work. But Gene very much in 2015, uh, look, we're, we're not going to allow catastrophic plays, no big plays over the top. We're going to do what we can to stop the run. And we're going to make teams get down the field in big, big drops, you know, 10, 12 plays. If you're going to score a touchdown – you're going to have to be consistently good. And that's what we saw in 15 now. What happened when they finally got to play some really good teams in Clemson and Baylor, that plan fell apart. Um, so I don't think we'll see that again where he puts in just, just a small amount. I think he has the talent and the depth to add more to it. Uh, but he, he is very much, we're going to simplify things. We're going to make it easy for you. Go make plays. And if you can't make plays, I'm going to pull somebody off the bench and they're going to make plays. And so it is a different mindset from, from that approach. And nothing about Gene has changed. To that point, today, Power Eccles missed a tackle and immediately was pulled out and Rara was put in. Like, without even – like, I didn't even – I thought maybe it was just a shift, but then I looked back and 10 guys that were there were still there and Rara just replaced Power. Um, so that's an example of what Greg was talking about. And with Charlton, he's extremely hands-on. And it's kind of allowed Dre Bly to solely focus on his corners, to focus on, and maybe that's part of why Tamir Brown has been able to progress the way he has. I don't know. I mean, it could, but he's only with the corners, whereas Charlton is moving with the stars, the safeties, the corners, Bly. Uh, Charlton had a lot of help with the, the special teams today. Um, he's just, he's very vocal. His voice carries, um, I don't know how much it compares to what with when it was just Bateman and Bly, but it's it's very easy to say that Warren is a plus to this team and to this coaching staff. And um, for the team's sake, hopefully it pays dividends on the field come, come the fall. Two more questions. One more Carolina football <laughs> question. Greg Barnes. We need a Greg Barnes master segment, yeah? Hold on. I'm dang on it, man. Let me, let me, let me host. Greg Barnes. <laughs> Is Mike Brown under any pressure to win next year? Like more than six and six? Eh, I mean, fans would not be happy with six and six. But I've, I've said for a couple of years now, I think if, if you look at the roster and you look at what they've done recruiting-wise, 23 has got to be the year that they make a significant move. 
Um, I think this team will have a better record than last year's team. Uh, what's the high end of that? Depends on how good the quarterbacks are. But, you know, I'm thinking seven, eight wins, maybe nine if everything goes according to plan, but there's some good teams in the ACC. Um, fans would be happy with that. Six and six, yeah, that's not going to cost him his job. 2023, though, um, I think that's the year where Carolina will probably have as much, if not more, talent than pretty much anybody in the ACC outside of Clemson. If you're not competing for the ACC title then and not pushing for double-digit victories then, then there's going to be some heat. Because at that point, you're like, what else do you need? And you've got all these you know, top 15 recruiting classes, and yet nothing's coming of it. So I think this year is a stepping stone year. They need to have a good year. It doesn't have to be a great year to really set up for what should be a fantastic 2023. I agree with that. You, you see that comment in the YouTube chat, Gregory? Gregory Hall needs his own podcast, seriously. I mean, I think Greg's pretty much done with podcasting for the for the season. So, I mean, I I think I can make that happen. No, we, we, we might have to see. We might have to check that out. And last question, who's winning the Masters, Greg? Not who's winning right now, who's winning on Sunday? The way can- Cam Smith has been playing. I mean, the guy doubled number one, doubled number 18, and still four under. Uh, the way that he can putt, if his driver is just okay, because your driver doesn't have to be great in Augusta, I think he's in good shape. Now, Scotty Scheffler's had a heck of a last month, number one player in the world for a, a reason. Uh, but what about Austin Greaser? What did he do today? I was looking. He played He played really well. 74. Look, it's the math at Augusta is not very difficult. Playing the golf course is difficult. The math is not, Right. You've got to execute on your par fives. You have to survive four through seven, and you have to putt well. Olsen was two under on the par fives. He was one over on four through seven, and he's a really good putter. Um, and so he's – I think he's tied for 43rd, which is phenomenal. Uh, he's second among amateurs. Um, low amateur is a big deal at Augusta. He's two shots back of a, of a kid from Japan. Uh, so just a, a really – Fantastic day for him. And I think it's really neat that uh, Andrew DiBetetto, sorry, Andrew, if I mispronounced your name, uh, but UNC's golf coach, DiBetetto is how you say it. I apologize. Uh, golf coach is his caddy, which is really that's neat. cool. That, that's a good experience. For, Did for you see the uh, quote from him afterwards? Just like, I loved how he was like, he struggled on that first hole, but then he nuked his second drive and I knew we were good. Like if my golf coach is talking about me nuking drives, like I've got all the confidence in the world. Like he I does. thought that was pretty cool. He hits it a mile and he's a good putter. That, that'll play. Yeah. If you can putt at Augusta, you can make noise for sure. And, uh, and a heck of a venue to see golf. Could you imagine this? You should have gotten a press pass, Gregory. You could add your own podcast. If you've gotten a press pass for the I masters. Know. Um, he played with Mike Weir and Lucky Charm. I mean, how great of a day is that? That and he came at like early, like it's his first major. It's at the Masters, and he has to tee off before he knows how the course is playing. Like, I thought it was very impressive for him to come back and birdie after bogeying, and just all of his responses. I, I was impressed by the young man today. Maybe we get him on this podcast. We have the Inside Carolina Golf Podcast with Greg Barnes hosting. Uh, Greg. You can go to your go back to your roots of being the professional golfer 
Um, and maybe we should go storm the Larry Fedora Invitational again and take home the trophy. I've got the flag over there. Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes. I've been your host, Tommy Ashley. Those guys have been uh, driving. I've been sitting in the back seat, just throwing out some uh, throwing out some comments here. Or there, it's always fun and always a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you guys on Saturday. Look forward to seeing everybody on Saturday at the spring game and at Inside Carolina Live at six o'clock. Partnered with Heels for Life, gets you some uh, some NIL fix with some of the guys from the team and some of the former football players. Come get us. We'll be there. Like and subscribe. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.